as we um, we get started. Uh, first of all, uh, Christmas Eve service is coming up on uh, September. I mean, December the twenty fourth. Sorry. Hey, my brain is still thawing out from being outside. Uh, but uh, December the twenty fourth. Okay, uh, six o'clock in the evening on December the twenty fourth. We'll have our Christmas Eve service. And um, we certainly welcome all of you to come, and we'll close out the service singing Silent Night by Candlelight. It'll be a, be a neat time. But also, if you, um, if you would like to have a role in that service as a singer, if you have a piece of special music uh, that you would like to do, um, either solo or with a group, uh, see Tony Malik there, and um, we'll, uh, we'll get you... Uh, lined out to do that uh also uh uh the wild game feast is coming up here faster than you realize about two months from today it will be upon us and uh, i'm going to need some help pulling that together if you'd like to be part of the team putting that together please see me afterwards now let's pray and then we'll get into god's word God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great privilege that we have in following and being called into relationship with your Son, Jesus Christ, who has indeed come into the world to be the Savior, who was born in Bethlehem of Judea according to the promise made through the prophets, who was born the son of David and the son of man, according to the prophets, who is the son of God, become incarnate according to the prophets, who really did ride on a donkey, just as the prophets said, who really was crucified and raised from the dead, just as the prophets said, and who really will come back again for we His people just as the prophets tell us. And Father, I pray that in this season of Advent, as we uh, look forward uh, to, the, to the celebration of Jesus' birth, that we would be reminded of all of these promises that were fulfilled the first time, and that we might have that reminder and therefore the confidence that they will be, that similar promises will be fulfilled a second time when He comes again to establish His rule and His reign uh, with us on the earth from Jerusalem. Uh, Father, we look forward to that day with joy, knowing that the kingdom will be ours, uh, and we will inherit the earth, as, uh, as Jesus said. And Father, we, we pray that that day would come soon. Uh, but in the meantime, that we would uh, look forward uh, to your coming, but also recognizing that Christ is coming, uh, that that would motivate us for ministry in the here and now, that we might help other people to find and follow Jesus uh, until he comes, and, and that we would be looking for him and have our lives shaped by that. Father, as we study your word this morning, help us to follow Jesus more closely as we find out more about him and who he is. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to be in John chapter 6 this morning, uh, where Jesus talks about being the bread of life. And as you make your way there, uh, we're going to start in verse 22. 
Uh, let me ask you a question. What's the best thing you ever ate in your life? Best thing you ever ate, okay? Um, for me, there's, 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 a, there's a kind of a hazy blend of stuff, that, of things that I have eaten that were amazing. Uh, I've lived a very blessed life. I've gotten to go a lot of places, a lot, a lot more places than I ever imagined that I would, as a matter of fact. Uh, I went on a mission trip at one point to Slovakia. As part of that trip, we got to go to Vienna on one of those days. And while we were there, uh, we went to the soccer hotel and ate a soccer tort, which is this, this, this layered chocolate dessert with, with raspberry filling in between the layers of chocolate. And then it's all covered in chocolate ganache. Son, every fat cell in my body sang the hallelujah chorus. <laughs> okay, it was phenomenal, all right? And, and, and then we, we used to have some folks that would come and see us uh, when Karen and I lived in Dallas, and when they were there and visiting with us, uh, they would take us out to some of the finest five-star restaurants in Dallas. And we ate steak and stone crab at True Lux on the north side of Dallas, and it was incredible you like seafood or you like meat uh this is calling your name right and and we went to a five-star french restaurant we went to a five-star mexican restaurant a five-star italian restaurant we had a phenomenal time we were very blessed and you know we have these memories karen and i one time went when we lived in dallas we went down to this little town on the on the outskirts of dallas stayed in a bed and breakfast and the former chef from Del Frisco's owns this little restaurant, and I ate New Zealand red stag grilled by this chef. And oh, baby, if you put a piece on top of your head, your tongue would beat your brains out to get a taste. It was, it was amazing. Okay, it really was. Okay, it was amazing. And and you know what the problem with all those meals was? At some point, they were over. Okay, and then after they were over, a few hours later, guess what? I need a snack, <laughs> right? I'm hungry again. But wouldn't it be amazing if you could eat and never get hungry again? And Jesus, believe it or not, men and women, boys and girls, Jesus promises us that we can eat and that we will never get hungry or thirsty again and it's in this passage here john chapter 6 uh beginning verse 22 he says on the john writes on the next day the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had only been there had been only one boat there and that jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples but that his disciples had gone away alone other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because... You saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, 
which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to, said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Now, let me, let me just back up, give you a little context. These verses describe what happened after Jesus fed the 5,000. Now imagine this, Jesus fed 5,000 people at least. It says there were 5,000 men, implying that there were some other people who were there, some women and children also that were fed as part of this. And remember, it's a couple little bitty fish and some, and some hard rolls, maybe about the size of your fist, and somehow Jesus just multiplies the food in his hands and feeds all of these people. And then in the aftermath of that, you remember if you were here last week, that Jesus uh, went up on the mountainside by himself after the crowd wanted to make him king, he, he cut out. And he went up on the mountainside by himself. The disciples went about halfway across the lake, and Jesus meets them walking across the water to get into their boat, and then immediately they're on the other side of the lake. Somehow they crossed eight miles in like seconds. And they're just instantly there. Now the crowd does not know that Jesus has done this. They didn't see it in the night. Jesus walk across the water and get in the disciples' boat. All they saw was Jesus go off by himself and the disciples leave in a boat by themselves. And they all gather around. Well, this was the spot where Jesus fed us yesterday. So they come back looking for him. Maybe they're seconds today, right? And they don't find him and they know the disciples have gone. So he's got to be around here somewhere. Well, where did he go? And they don't find him. So they go, well, you know what? He must have somehow gotten a boat some way and gone across the lake. So they go looking for him back at Jesus' home base in Capernaum. And when they get there, they find him and they say, what's well, a very natural question? Rabbi, when did you get here? Right? How did you get across the water? We saw there was only one boat gone and your disciples got in it and you didn't. So how did you get here? And Jesus doesn't answer their question. What he does is he gets to the root of why they were asking. He says, you're not looking for me because you saw signs, but because you want to get fed again without working for it. They were all down for getting a gift from Jesus, but the idea that Jesus himself was the gift had escaped their notice entirely. Because remember, John repeatedly uses this word signs throughout the gospel to indicate things that indicate that Jesus is the Messiah. By the way, if you can feed 5,000 people with five little rolls 
and two little fish? Are you the Messiah? Yes. <laughs> okay. This would be a big, flashing, eight-foot letters, neon <laughs> sign. This is the guy. Right? But all they're looking for is what? Lunch. You know, Jesus, you fed us yesterday. I mean, how about some more today? And they're just looking for another handout from Jesus, not understanding that Jesus Himself is the gift that the Father has sent them. And Jesus is trying to make it clear, look, you're looking for the wrong thing. He says in verse 27, don't labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on Him the Father has set His seal. Let me, let me interpret that just a little bit. What he's saying is this, guys, your focus is wrong. You're only thinking about temporary food when you should be thinking about how to get your ultimate longings satisfied. And they are only going to be satisfied through the Son of Man. By the way, who's the Son of Man? Remember Him? Daniel chapter 7. The one sent by God the Father, the Ancient of Days, who will receive a kingdom that will never be destroyed. So when Jesus says, the Son of Man, what's He saying? The Messiah the one who is to come, me. You guys, your focus is not big enough. It's not grand enough. You're thinking about where to get your next sandwich and the kingdom of God is among you and being offered to you by the Messiah whom Daniel prophesied about. But did they get it? Nope, they don't. They understand that he's saying something spiritual, so they go, oh, well, we're going to have a religious conversation now. Okay, well, let's say something religious. Since you were talking about laboring, what, what do we do to do what God requires? How do we, what do we need to do to do the works of God? What's Jesus say? Believe in the one that he sent. Who's that? Jesus. Believe in me. They don't want to do that. So what do they say? Well, what sign are you going to do for us so that we might know that you're the one that God sent? Now, does this seem ignorant or what? Right? I mean, I just fed you people yesterday miraculously, right? And then now you're standing here in front of me right now and asking me what sign... I could give you to indicate that I'm the one whom God sent. I mean, like, have you got a list of guys that can feed 5,000 people out of a little boy's lunch? Because I've never seen that. Have you? I mean, Houdini couldn't do that one. And, and yet, he, they say, well, what sign are you going to do? In other words, what have you done for me lately, Jesus? I mean, it's been like, you know, 18 hours since I ate last crazy that that's what they ask him but that's what they ask him and i think it's because many jews in jesus day 
believed that, the, that in the Messianic age, when Messiah came, that the manna from heaven was going to be restored. That, it, that when Messiah came, that, that they would be miraculously fed by God every day. And so in other words, Jesus... Uh, if you really are the one whom God said, you know, we're thinking He's going to provide food every day, so where's ours? I mean, you know, you need to get with the program here. If you're really the Messiah, I mean, yesterday is good, but how about today? And they're missing the point. They're saying, essentially, prove you're the one here, Jesus. If you're the, really the Messiah, shouldn't you be feeding us every day? And again, Jesus calls them back from their focus on physical food. Because they're, say, they're saying, look, Moses fed us every day. Where's ours? Today. And he says, look, it's not Moses that fed you. It was God the Father who fed you. There's nothing magical about Moses. Moses didn't have any power of his own. Whatever power he had was on loan from God, and God did miracles through Moses, but the manna came from God. And the bread that he is sending you now isn't physical, or at least not in the way that you understand it physically. It's not another meal, it's a person. It's a person who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So stop looking for bread. Because the one who will really satisfy your spiritual hunger is here with the offer of something better. The offer of eternal life. Which would you rather have? Eternal life or a sandwich? I mean, I've had some good sandwiches in my life, right? But there was, there's none of them where if someone stood in front of me and they said, okay, so we got roast beef on focaccia with Swiss cheese or eternal life. Which do you want? I'd be like, hmm, let me think. Oh, eternal life. <laughs> right? Um, and that's what Jesus is trying to tell them. Eternal life is being offered to you. Eternal life is being offered to you. And in response, they say, well, well, you know what? That sounds pretty good. Give me that bread always. The bread that gives eternal life. They're still thinking about bread. Bread. Getting another sandwich. But Jesus is so patient. One of the things that just encourages me, by the way, about Jesus is that with people who are spiritually dense, who are spiritually blind, he just goes back over the same ground and explains again. And I find that so encouraging because guess what? Many times I am spiritually dense and spiritually blind and I don't get it. And Jesus is patient with me too. And so Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. 
For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone who has seen the Father except he who is from God, he has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now, uh, if you look closely at these verses, what you see is that Jesus is making it very, very clear that he is in fact the person whom God sent uh, who will feed them not with physical food, but with eternal life. By the way, many theologians would tell you that, when, that Jesus' formulation of these statements in John, I am these things, is an echo of what God said to Moses in the bush, that He is the one who is. You know, that, he says when, when Moses uh, meets God in the flaming uh, fire of the bush, uh, God, God, Moses says, how, do I, how will I tell them who has sent me? And God says, tell them that I am has sent you. And Jesus repeatedly makes these statements in the Gospel of John, I am this, I am this, I am this. And he's emphasizing his divine identity with God. And when he says, I am the bread of life, in other words, what is the basic thing you have to have to keep body and soul together? You have to have food. In the ancient, in the ancient Near East, that's bread, right? I am the thing which you must have to give you life. And by the way, the life I'm talking about is not physical life, it's eternal life. So when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, what he means is, is that if you are connected to me, if you take me into your life, then you have eternal life. Now, by the way, who can make that kind of a claim? No one, if you're a mere human, that you can give eternal life to people. Only God can make that claim. And Jesus is saying, that's who I am. I am the Son of God, and I give eternal life to people. 
And by the way, the, the hunger and thirst of your soul will be permanently satisfied with this. And he says, I am here to do God's will because I am the one that God has sent. And the Father is drawing to me those whom he will save that they might have eternal life. And what does that include? Being raised from the dead at the resurrection. He says, I will, I can not only give eternal life, when you die physically, I can raise you from the dead. Now that's a pretty bold claim. Who can do that? God. And that's what he's trying to underline and emphasize to them. And by the way, don't miss an important truth here in these verses. Can a person whom God saves ever be lost no say it with me can a person whom god saves ever be lost no you need to believe that you need to see that in what jesus says look at look at look at this verse 39 and this is the will of him who sent me in other words this is god's will that i should lose how many Nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. That everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. No one who believes in Jesus will ever be lost. Not one single solitary person. Because Jesus always fulfills God's will perfectly. That's a very important truth. That Jesus loses none of us. You might want to underline those words in your Bible. This is God's will that I should lose nothing of all that God has given me. You know, next time you blow it, and you fall into sin. Anybody do that this week? <laughs> Better raise both hands on that, right? How about this morning? How about on the way to church? <laughs> right? Some of you probably blow it on the way out of church in the parking lot. Somebody will cut you off. <laughs> right? <laughs> but here's the thing. When you do... It's really, really easy, especially when it's not something minor, when it's something big. And you have screwed up worse than you could ever have imagined yourself screwing up. And you're confessing your sin to God and repenting and turning from it. And you're wondering, I don't even know if somebody who claims to be a believer can even sin like this. This is a verse for you. This is a verse for you. This is a verse for me. That Jesus will lose none of us. Of all who belong to Him, Jesus will lose none of us. And He will keep you in His love for eternity. And He will raise you to life again from the dead. You came this morning looking for something for which to praise God. You just found one.
Amen? Amen. Now, let me ask you this question. Did the Jews Jesus is speaking to get it? No, they did not. Instead, they are offended by what Jesus said. They don't recognize Him as what He is, the virgin-born Son of God. Instead, they assume that Joseph is his daddy because Joseph is the man who raised him. And since they know Mary and Joseph, they assume that Jesus can't be the Savior of the world who has come down from heaven. And they start grumbling among themselves. And by the way, that word grumbling is an important word. One of the things John is doing in this section of Scripture is comparing Jesus and Moses. We saw that in, uh, in chapter 5 where Jesus is talking about Himself versus Moses and how Moses wrote of a great prophet that would come after Him and that He is the one that Moses was talking about. And then you see Jesus provide miraculous food better than Moses. And then you see Him not, not walk through the sea, but walk on the sea in a miraculous way, and miraculously carry those who follow Him all the way to the other side without their feet getting wet. Jesus is superior to Moses. And John is highlighting that again in this discussion, that Jesus is superior to Moses. And the the reaction, though, of the people who heard Moses and the people who hear Jesus is the same. Grumbling. Grumbling. Grumbling against the One whom God sent to lead them. I think John uses that word to highlight the parallel between the people of Moses' day and the people of Jesus' day. That they grumbled against God in the wilderness even as they ate the bread that God provided. And here in this situation, they are grumbling directly to God's own Son even as He fed them with physical bread and is offering Himself as the real spiritual bread to them. At the very moment they are receiving God's provision, they don't recognize it and they grumble. But again, Jesus continues to explain. First of all, He rebukes them for their grumbling. Stop grumbling among yourselves. And he says, the reason you don't believe is because you need to have your heart transformed by God the Father. It's another important truth here in verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Ultimately, how does a person come to faith in Jesus? Ultimately, how does a person come to faith in Jesus? Is it because they, they are just more spiritually enlightened and attuned than everybody else? Or maybe just, maybe just a, a, little, a little cut above morally the rest of homo sap around the world? No. Ultimately, how does a person come to faith in Jesus? They come to faith in Jesus because God, out of love, I'm going to drop a theological term on you, applies His irresistible grace to their heart and He pulls them all the way into salvation. Ultimately, that is what Jesus is saying. Is that, is that 
the reason someone does not come to Christ is because God hasn't got hold of them and brought them to faith. But everyone whom the Father draws will come to faith in Jesus. And you can't come unless the Father acts in your life first. It's ultimately God who saves. People don't come uh, to faith in Jesus because of their own will, but in, in response to God's will being enacted in their heart by His Holy Spirit. Now, look at verses 45 and 46. Uh, what Jesus is doing there is He is paraphrasing Isaiah and Jeremiah to the effect that, that you will all be taught by God. And those prophets predicted that there would be a day when God Himself would teach them. Guess what's happening as they stand there? God Himself is teaching them. In other words, Jesus is saying, look, what Isaiah and Jeremiah predicted is right now happening. This very instant as I am speaking to you. They're being taught by the Son of God this very instant. Do they understand that? No, they don't understand that. Why not? Because apparently the Father has not yet acted in their life to draw them into faith in Jesus. They don't understand He has come to them from the Father that Jesus has seen, but that they have not. And then in verses 47 to 50, he calls them again to come to him by faith and believe in him as the Messiah, the Son of Man, and the Son of God who came that they might receive eternal life and be raised up at the resurrection of the dead. He says, If you're looking for bread, I've got it, and mine is so much better than manna. The guys who ate the manna, remember what happened to all of them? Jesus, Jesus points this out. What happened to all the guys who ate the manna? They died in the wilderness. Every single last one of them. All died. He says, but the bread that I give, the bread of eternal life, the bread that comes only through relationship with me by faith, you never die. Not really. Because what happens one nanosecond after a believer's heart quits beating? They open their eyes in the presence of the Savior. Is that death? Not by any account scripturally. It's not. Not really. It, yeah, you die physically, but are you dead? No. I love the... I love the, uh, the, the great line from D.L. Moody who said that once upon a time, he said, one day you will read in the newspaper. Now, young people, back in the day they had these pieces of paper that were about this big. Okay. <laughs> they were called newspapers. You got one every day. Okay. Um, I realize that that's like back from when the earth's crust was cooling. But in any case... Um, he said, one day you will read in the newspaper that the great, DL, the great evangelist D.L. Moody is dead. Don't you believe it? On that day, I will be more alive than I have ever been. And what Jesus is promising those who believe in Him is that they will never die. Not really. 
they will live in eternity before God's own face. And then Jesus drops a truth bomb on these guys. He says, by the way, what's the bread? My own flesh. Now before you get too confused, let's keep reading. Okay? The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of God and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. And whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Okay, let me just get very clear. Is Jesus talking about some kind of cannibalism? No, he's not. Is he talking about some sort of figurative cannibalism? Right? Like when you eat it, it's just bread and it's just wine, but it somehow magically becomes flesh and blood inside your body. No. Okay? If you were taught that, I'm sorry. That's not true. That's not what Jesus is saying. What he's saying is this. He's using a very vivid image. And Jesus often does that, by the way. He use a very vivid image of something physical to talk about spiritual realities in a way that is compelling and memorable. And he's saying if you want to receive eternal life, you have to receive me into every part of your life. By the way, when you eat bread, where does it go? It goes into your stomach and it gets processed by your small intestine, broken down, right? And then it goes out into your bloodstream where it nourishes every part of your body. And it, and it, it distributes all to all of your organs, your skin, your toes, your pancreas. Pancreas shouts hallelujah when the bread hits, right? Um, You have every part of you changed by what you took in, right? And nourished and fed and strengthened. And in the same way, if you are going to put your trust in Jesus, you're going to receive Him into every part of you, and every part of you was going to be fed and transformed by the fact that Jesus now dwells within you. That's the idea. That's the point that he's making. And when he talks about eating and drinking, do you know what he's talking about? Those are metaphors for coming to him and believing in him, what he had said earlier. And when you really do that, you receive eternal life. It's because Jesus is eternal and He dwells within you and so His life becomes your life and you can never die. And He satisfies the hunger of your soul and feeds you with 
His divine life so that you can live a brand new life and, and one day also be raised from the dead. That's what he's trying to explain. That's the point of what he's saying and saying that I am the bread of life. And you have to eat me, in a sense, in order to have it. So let me ask you a few, uh, a little question here as we close. First, first thing I would just want to say this. Are you hungry and thirsty this morning? Virtually every good thing in life, virtually every good thing in life has the same limitation. We might enjoy it. We might be blessed by it. But it doesn't ultimately satisfy all of our longings. Don't raise your hand, but let me ask you, on the day you got married, how many of you thought, this is going to be happily ever after. I've shared with you all before that my wife and I had our first marital fight in the parking lot leaving the church <laughs> at our wedding. <laughs> okay? This is not one of my prouder moments as a husband. I, I, I'm pleased to advise, right? I've had some better moments than that. Does marriage ultimately satisfy all your longings? No. Is it a great thing? Yes. Is it a joyous thing? Yes. Does God bless it? Yes. Let me tell you, I can preach for an hour and a half on the blessings of my marriage to me. But does it ultimately satisfy? No. How about having kids? Man, they're great, aren't they? I cried at the birth of every one of my children. I have cried many times since. <laughs> right? Because are children a great blessing from the Lord? Yes. Do they come with pain and suffering? Yes. Do they ultimately satisfy every longing of your heart? No, they don't. How about a great job? I happen to have a great job. I do. Everything I've ever wanted to do is, is in the job that I have. And at the end of the day, there are satisfactions in that of a job well done. And if you have a, if you have a great job, you know what I'm talking about. You get to the end of the day and you go, that feels good. I got everything done that I needed to do. And I did it well. But you know what? If a job is a fragile thing to build a life on, it really is. It can't sustain the weight, right? If you work, if you work in an in a in an average uh, type business, about six months after you're not there anymore, people will forget that you ever were there. Is that going to satisfy? No. Almost everything leaves us at the end of the day hungry and thirsty for more and thinking this cannot be all there is to life. Can I suggest to you something that is? All there is to life 
the greatest blessing, the thing that will satisfy the hunger and thirst of your soul is not a thing, it's a person. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you come to Him and believe in Him, He will satisfy the thirst and the hunger of your soul forever. He will. And He will give you eternal life. He will raise you up on the last day. He will transform you from the inside out. He will raise you up into the heavenly places to be seated with Him in Christ forever. You will rule and reign as lords and ladies of the King for eternity. How about that for a benefits program? Amen? This will satisfy. And if you came this morning and you've never come to Jesus, you don't believe in Jesus, and you have lots of questions about what this even all means, please stay and talk to me, talk to Rick Rosetto, talk to Cindy Rosetto, talk to my parents who happen to be visiting this morning, talk to any one of our elders or our deacons or the Sunday school teachers, and they can tell you how to enter into the life that is really life. And it will satisfy the hunger and thirst of your soul. When you enter in by trusting in Jesus Christ, that the sacrifice of His flesh on the cross was for you, and He took away your sin, and He was raised from the dead that He might raise you from the dead one day. If you believe that, you receive eternal life. But I know we also have a lot of people who believe in Jesus here this morning. Praise God. Praise God for every single one of you. And if you're looking for something to praise God for this morning, here are a couple things. Number one, praise God that He drew you to Jesus. I don't know what you think when you read verse 44, but what you should think when it talks about no one comes to me unless the Father draws him, what you should be thinking there is that God has been incredibly gracious and kind to me. That though I was a rebel and a sinner and someone who rejected God, His grace overwhelmed my resistance and drug me into the kingdom anyway. (laughs) Because He loves me and He is incredibly kind to me. And I was too prideful to come to Him and believe on my own. So praise God for His great grace that irresistibly brought me into His kingdom. And secondly, praise God that you are kept forever by His grace. God, having saved you, keeps you. If it is up to me or up to you to keep ourselves in the love of God and to obey Him perfectly so that we don't get kicked out of heaven, let me just tell you, we're all in trouble. A view that says you can lose your salvation is not just unbiblical, it's impractical. Because guess what? It depends on a very low view of what counts as sin to keep your salvation. The old Puritans were right when they said, even my prayers need to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. At my holiest moment, I am not holy enough to be in right relationship with God. But praise God, He saved me, not by works of righteousness which we had done, but according to His mercy, Titus tells us. 
And God keeps us. Not just saves us, He keeps us. He holds on to us. And He never never loses a single one of us who have put our trust in Him. Amen? He hangs on to us. I love the illustration somebody gave a long time ago about a little kid holding his dad's hand. And the kid thinks he's big stuff. He's like, Daddy, you can't get away because I'm holding on to your hand. And dad, of course, much bigger, much stronger than his little boy, says, yes, but remember, I'm holding on to your hand. Guess whose hand is stronger? The Father's. Guess who holds on to you? The Father. And Jesus will not lose track of you. Because His hand is much bigger than yours. And He is much more powerful in His grace and love and omnipotence. He will not lose you if you have put your trust in Him. Let's pray and let's praise God for these things. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank You that You, out of Your overflowing mercy and abundant grace and surpassing love, sent the Son into the world to be the bread of life and to offer eternal life to every single person whom You draw into relationship with Him uh, by Your grace through faith. And that having saved us, Father, You keep us. And we cannot escape Your grasp because it is Your will that Jesus lose nothing of all that has been given to Him. And we are part of those people. And we rejoice in that. We thank You for that. We thank You that our salvation depends not on us, but on on God who has mercy. And Father, if there's anyone here this morning who came hungry and thirsty and longing for life, Father, I pray that they would have come because You drew them here to hear this message and to read Your Word and to have Your Holy Spirit work in them satisfy the hunger and thirst of their soul with the bread of life, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray and we rejoice in these things. In Jesus' name, amen.